0: In our look at the uh, book of Numbers, we're up today to uh, Numbers chapter 34. Uh, we'll finish this up in, uh, I think, three weeks. And then uh, beginning on the um, 12th of August, we'll start a series on the parables of Jesus that will take us through uh, most of the fall leading up to uh, Advent. So, um, But today we're going to look at, at Numbers chapter 34. Um, and again, this is one of those chapters where there are a lot of hard-to-pronounce names and a lot of details and, and a fair amount of re- repetition that um, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on today. So what we're going to actually do is read the first five verses and then skip over and read verses 13 through 17. Now, if you're concerned that you're not going to get enough Bible, just wait. Uh, I'm going to read a whole chapter out of the uh, New Testament and the sermon as well. So you're going to get your required daily amounts of Bible this morning. So uh, um, I'm just trying to put the, as I've said before, put the cookie jar on a lower shelf and take the lid off, right? So um, all you got to do is stick your hand in there, right? Okay. So uh, Numbers uh, chapter uh, 34, verses 1 through 5. And then uh, verses 13 uh, through 17. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you for an inheritance, the land of Canaan, as defined by its borders. Your south side shall be from the wilderness of Zen alongside Edom, And your southern border shall run from the end of the salt sea on the east. And your border shall turn south to the ascent of Akrabim and cross to Zen, And its limit shall be south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go on to Hazor Adar and pass along to Asmon. And the border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt. And its limit shall be at the sea. And then skip over to um, uh, uh, verse 13. Uh, Moses commanded the people of Israel, saying, This is the land that you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half tribe Uh, for the tribe of the people of Reuben by father's houses and the tribe of the people of Gad by their father's houses have received their inheritance and also the half tribe of Manasseh. Remember, those were the uh, tribes that had all the cows and sheep and wanted to stay on the other side. Uh, stay on the other side of the the Jordan. And they negotiated that they would send their soldiers across with the rest of the tribes. The two tribes and the half-tribe have received their inheritance uh, beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, toward the sunrise. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the names of the men who shall divide the land to you for inheritance. Eleazar the priest and Joshua, the son of Nun. So we're almost done. We're down to the closing stretch here. The people of God, they're on the plains of Moab. They can see across the Jordan River to the promised land. They're almost there. And so God is instructing the people with some last minute instructions, some some things to take care of, some things to think about as they prepare to go uh, into the land. And so it's, uh, he's tidying this up as they prepare to go. And that's a it's It's important we're going to see that over the next uh, couple of weeks uh, uh, he's going to take care of the last few things for them so um, one of the things that you, you you have to see about this is is how God is going to apportion out the land. Now think about this for a second. these people uh, are the descendants of slaves uh they're, uh, they were 400 years in Egypt in slavery, and then over the last 40 years, there's been a generational turnover, right? There's been a a change in generation. So uh, this, you know, all these people have heard is how great the promised land is. All they've heard is that this is what God had promised to their great 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 grandfather Abraham, and now they're re- uh, ready to go. And so this is kind of like the culmination leading up to the big thing that God has been doing all the w- since all the way back to Genesis 12, really, where he promised Abraham that he would give him the land. So in this chapter, verses 1 through 15, lay out the borders of the land of promise, beginning in the south and moving in a clockwise direction to the west, north, and then east. Now, this is important to note uh, because we can identify even today where some of these locations are, uh, and some of them we can't, but we we, we have a pretty good idea if you you could trace where the borders of the land are, uh, and uh, it's a big land, a beautiful land. Uh, the problem with the land is Israel will never fully inhabit it. Okay, you read in Judges and Joshua where it says that there's a lot of passages that contained the words would not and could not a lot. Um, And so so for whatever reason, even even during the reign of David and the reign of Solomon, you know, when when they were at their biggest, their most powerful, the the biggest part of the territory, uh, they still fell short of the boundaries, the borders that are listed here. So so that, that that's a that's a pretty you know profound thing to think about. So here God is. He says, look, you know, I'm giving you this. This is your inheritance. Go and take it. Go inhabit it. Stretch out as far as you can. Go to the very limits of the land. This is uh, what I promised to Abraham. Here it is. It's yours. Go and take it. And the people will fall short because, you know, it's hard work. It's difficult. There's struggle involved and uh, uh, there's challenge and sacrifice and everything to go and to live and to receive fully what God had promised them and what he had given them. And so so they, they fall short. Right. God's still gracious. He's still good uh, and, and he still gives it to them. Right now, uh, verses 16 through 29 lay out the leaders who will oversee how the land is divided up. By tribe and by size now this is a this is a pretty important thing, right, because you know, and I know that if we 're about to get something, if somebody's about to to give something, and there 's a bunch of us who might think that we have a claim to receiving that we 're going to fight we 're going to argue i 'll fight you for the stuff right um, i 'll I'll never forget in, in one thousand nine hundred and eighty nine when when marty 's uh, uh, grandmother died, uh, all of uh, um her uh, aunts and uncles who were you know the 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 siblings were sitting around and she hadn't been dead very long and they're arguing with one another about how mama loved one more than the other right so we're going to fight over, you know, hey, I want that spring. I want that piece of land. I want that. So what God's doing is now I'm going to be gracious to you and I'm going to help you with this. And I'm going to have leaders who are going to be appointed who are going to help you arrive at an equitable and a fair and a good division of the land. Right. So, so not only is God giving them the land, but he's also providing a gracious, merciful and authoritative means whereby the land, the inheritance can be fairly divided up and everybody gets uh, what they're supposed to. Uh, to get. So like I said, uh, we know that the people of God never lived in the full extent of the land that God gave to them. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time this morning uh, talking about that issue in our own lives, but I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning, right? So the good news for us is that Jesus Christ, by his life, death, and resurrection, has secured our inheritance. You know, it's not going to go away. It's, not going to get spent uh, uh, before it, it comes to you, right? And just like in most inheritances, someone has to die for you to get an inheritance. Well, that's already happened, right? So Jesus Christ has died. He has secured your inheritance. And, and the emphasis there is not so much on inheritance as it is secured. It's yours. We read uh, in uh, the New Testament where the scriptures tell us that he has gone to prepare a place for us, a new heavens and a new earth, the promised land. It's ours. It's sure. It's certain. Now, the, the thing the thing that we have to the the, the this text, uh, the question that it asks of us and the thing that we need to think about today is this. What of this inheritance? What of this thing that, that God has worked so hard to give to me? What of this thing that Jesus died to bring to me is available to me today? That I don't have to die uh, to receive the fullness of that inheritance, because the fact is, the New Testament speaks to us much of what what the the work of Jesus Christ has done to provide for us right now. And so we need to ask the question: uh, we need to we need to ask ourselves as we think about this. Are there places in my life, given the mercy and the grace of God, the boundless work that He's done, all of all of these blessings that He's poured out upon me? Are there places where I am not living to the full extent of what Jesus died to give me? And and I say this this morning to you, not not for us to be discouraged, but for us to have an opportunity to see the vastness, the broadness, the depth and the beauty of God's grace to us and to hunger for more of that, to move towards more of that, to live, live to the limit, if you would, of, of the grace of God for us in Jesus Christ. And so this is this is a, the, the thing that that is important for us uh, today, because I think there are God given blessings that I am rejecting or avoiding or ignoring. Right. It's hard to believe that you could do that. Uh, but I think sin confuses us so much that we often do that. And so I've, I, I came up with four. There are many uh, uh, other ones. Uh, but the first one is one of the blessings that I think we avoid is the blessing of struggle. Now you're thinking, oh, wait, what is that? The blessing of struggle. Um, one of the things that is profound for us, and one of the things you cannot read the New Testament about the work of God in us uh, without seeing uh, metaphors for struggle, metaphors for cha- challenge, and as we'll see in a few minutes, uh, the issue of suffering, right? And so, why is that? Well, because, uh, the, the, when we struggle, we are changed. When we are struggled, when we, when we are struggling, we feel weakness. And when we feel weakness, we leave a place opens up within us for the Spirit of God to work in us. Uh, this week, uh, Marty went to a, a, a conference, uh, on math. But that, because they're largely English and from Singapore, they don't call it math, they call it maths. Maths. They do their maths. Which I'm, that's the way we're gonna say it in our house now. We're gonna say, we're gonna do our maths, right? Um, and one of the things that the, uh, the, the guy who was, who was teaching, leading the seminar, one of the things that he talked about is, is that, uh, in America, the way we tend to think about schooling, the way we tend to think about education is, you know, we want students who breeze through school. And he's like, those are the worst. The best students, the ones that where it's, it's <laughs> education really sticks and really matters are the ones who struggle. That struggle is good because the kid who struggles to figure out how to do his math's uh is going to learn so much more and develop so much more and and be so much more uh, have such greater facility with with the concepts than the kid who never struggles now i know you don't believe a word of that because i know as a parent what do we do what do we do as people we spend a vast amount of our resources and time and energy to insulate us against struggle. That kid can struggle. Wow, look at that! They're struggling. <laughs> uh, my kid's not going to struggle, right? Right? We're going to keep that from happening. So, so whatever, what in whatever way we think about that, that's the same way for us, right? We think that somehow or other, if we are struggling. If things are difficult, if if we have to persevere, if we have to to come at it that way, then somehow or other things are off track. But what the New Testament tells us over and over and over again is that this, this place of struggle is where Jesus meets us. Because you and I are so convinced that we don't need the inheritance that Jesus has died to give us. That we'll do just fine with the little bit that we have here. And I don't want to be expanded to the limits of the borders of what Jesus might have for me. And so I will avoid it. At all costs. And so what happens to us is uh, we're uh, malnourished and we think we're fat. And we are, uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, less uh, for having uh skipped the blessing of struggle. Secondly, there's the blessing of suffering. And we really don't like this one, right? Uh, uh, because the fact is it seems to us that there can be no place where god might meet us but in fact what we read from the new testament and the 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 overwhelming uh witness of what the epistles certainly tell us is is that the christian life at least the christian life described in the first century is a life of suffering you know that that, that doesn't fit very well with what we do in 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 western culture with the way we think about the gospel that uh, the, what the gospel in my life has spent uh, alleviating suffering. And yet what we read in the, the, the New Testament is the glory of God shines most clearly in and through us often in suffering, in pain, in difficulty, and in brokenness. And so if I can avoid all of that, and I'm not saying to be masochistic or any of that kind of stuff. I'm simply saying that if we spend a lot of our time and energy, we miss out on the blessing that could be ours through struggle and through suffering. Thirdly, um, when we don't uh, fully uh, appreciate what Jesus has done for us, we miss out on the blessing of generosity. Because if I believe that the inheritance that God has for me is small, if I believe that we live in a zero-sum kind of game and that resources are scarce and and the fact that this God is not going to give to me, he's not going to bless me, he's not going to provide for me, then what I have to do is hoard everything and not be generous. And so we miss out on the opportunity to look like God. Uh, We miss out on the opportunity to reflect his glory because God is generous, right? Jesus Christ uh, is is uh, it's unbelievable how generous he is to us. And so he's generous to us, not just to enrich us so that we can insulate ourselves against struggle and suffering. But he is generous to us so that we can bear witness to his character by being generous to others. And then lastly, the blessing of freedom and and what I mean by that is I find for myself, and I've been particularly repenting of this lately, is that uh, I uh, forget about the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give me and sacrifice that on the altar of reputation and what other people think about me. Right? Uh, that what we see in the gospel is that Jesus Christ died to set us free from that And so one of the reasons why I love so poorly is because I care what people think. When we, when we, when we tend to think of, when we say to ourselves, I'm not going to care about what this person thinks anymore. Well, we, we tend to think about that in the way that somehow or other that, that sets up an adversarial relationship. But when in fact, the only way I can love you is if I really am free from the, (laughs) being bound up by your opinion of me. Right? And so Jesus Christ died uh, to give that to me to set me free from the condemnation of others. And so, as I thought about this this week, is uh, is there a place where we can see just as these borders are laid out, uh, uh, some place where where this uh, where this is true for us as we live now in the New Testament uh, age? And let me just say something about this. One of the things that you have to see about this this text is. That these borders outline a real place, with dirt and trees and creeks and rivers and mountains. That the things that are described in that uh, uh, inheritance are things that are real, right? And so the same is true when we look at what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we look at the work of what He has accomplished in our lives, these things are real. Uh, the the borders that outline what. What Christ has done for us are real. They're just as real as those trees and mountains were. So is there a New Testament text that lays out the borders of the blessing that Jesus is giving to me? And yes, I think it is, and it's called Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have the blessing of freedom, the inheritance of freedom. You are free from condemnation. You are free from condemnation. Can I say that again? You're free from condemnation. Because of what Christ has done for you. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, that's isn't it amazing that the blessing that Christ has given us and the inheritance that he's given us sets us free from the mind that is set on the flesh. Not to the flesh, to living according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer, oh, there's that blessing, with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Nobody likes weakness. But one of the reasons why you and I are not helped by the Spirit is because we're not weak. Right? Right? We're trying to limit the amount of weakness that we experience and that we think of, right? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? He's just telling us, you know, there's some blessing out here for you. But to get you to believe a little bit of it, he's going to speak in hyperbole, right? He's going to speak actually bigger than than what it is. When in fact, he's simply laying out for us what our inheritance is and what the Spirit does in and through and for us right now. I read this text to you this morning. Some of you might have hated this, that you had to listen to the Bible for, I don't know, five or six minutes. Uh, But it struck me, recently I was talking with someone in the church who told me, as they're about my age, that uh, one of the things that they decided to do is once a year they get together with their siblings and with their cousins. Because the only time they ever get together, were getting together, was at funerals. Well, it occurred to me that the only time I read Romans 8 anymore is at funerals. The only time I think about not being separated from the love of God in Christ is when somebody's dead, right? Um, The only time I think about uh, uh, the inheritance that is mine is then. But, you know, Paul's writing this to tell us, you know, right here, right now, you have an inheritance, you have a blessing, you have all these things that Jesus died to give us, right? These things are true of us. And, and, and nothing in many ways could be uh, more tragic than uh, us spending our time and our energy uh, worried about our reputations, worried about whether we're going to have enough, Whether, worried about whether we're going to make it and worried about whether we might have some difficulty.